Welcome to Kildare Talks, where we listen and learn from the people who work across the county, offering us guidance and support on our health and well-being to help us live healthy and well. My guests today are Anya Ling and Anna Deegan. Anya is a Cancer Prevention Officer with the HSC National Cancer Control Programme. Anya trained as a clinical exercise physiologist and worked in the NHS for a number of years using exercise to support people living with chronic conditions. Anya has played Camogie with her local club Galtier and also at a county level with Waterford. Anya holds several county titles with her county and a North Ireland club medal with Galtier, but is still very much involved in sport and exercise. Anna is a sports hub coordinator with Kildare Sports Partnership. Anna runs a number of programmes for teenage girls, including induction to kayaking and new to triathlon programmes, and most recently the GAS, which is Girls Cree Active Space Programme, which is one of the winning programmes from the Sport Ireland Hackathon. Guys, you're both very welcome. Today we're going to talk about a conversation that has been generating quite a lot of interest in recent months and that is why do young girls or young teenage girls drop out of sports and what can be done about it. So I'm really thankful that you've come down to have a chat about this. Maybe as we're talking you might like to share maybe your own sort of journey in sport or through sport or even through exercise and what people can learn from that journey, both from your professional perspective, but even also from your personal perspective. So I am interested to know things like when you were involved in sport as a young person, like what was it that brought you to it? What was it that kept you in it? If you were not involved in sport as a young person, what was it about sport that you didn't want to be part of? And maybe what was it about sport that brought you to it in later years? And everything else that sort of fits in between that, if that's okay. So maybe Anya, if you don't mind, maybe starting with you, like for you that played Komogi at that type of level, like what was it about Komogi or GA or sport that attracted you to it as a young girl? Yeah, I suppose I was encouraged by my parents from the get-go. From when I was a toddler, I was exposed to all kinds of sports. So you get the bike, you're brought to the fields. I was brought to watch women in sport. So at the time when I was a kid, Waterford Ladies Football was really growing. So my dad used to take me to the game. So I immediately saw women and girls who are active. My parents, they never put any pressure on me with regards to joining any sport. I was brought along to gymnastics because I expressed an interest. I do think that was probably the base for me because I developed the fundamental motor skills from a very young age. So I think I started gymnastics when I was six or seven, kept it up till I was about 12. So I had the skills and the confidence to be able to run, to be able to throw a ball, to be able to fall and get up again. So I think it gave me a very strong base to then go on into other sports. So gymnastics gave me those basic motor skills. Did your mum play sports or did you have aunts that played sports or older sisters even? No, my mom, my aunts, they didn't play sport. My two older sisters, same as me, my parents exposed them to kind of playing, being active. They would have played a bit of badminton. My fondest probably childhood memories was my dad taking me, my two sisters and my younger brother up to the local GA pitch. We had hers with us, we had balls, but we used to just run around. My younger brother would be running up and down the sideline. My sister would be throwing a ball at me. That was my fondest childhood memories. My dad brought me up to the fields. I used to be so excited when my mother would get involved. So simple things, you're playing a game of ball in the back garden. If my mom came out to play football with us or if we were at the beach and my mom went for a swim, 
I used to think it was the best thing ever to get my mom involved. So my mom didn't play sports. My aunt just didn't play sports, but they were more than willing to get involved with kids when we were playing or just being active. So it gave me a very strong example of going, you don't have to be sporty to be active. I had a particular interest in sports myself, always have, always will. So I had that basic gymnastics. I have the exposure of seeing women playing at a high level through the Waterford Ladies Football and my own family, my sisters, my mum, they'd get involved when we were active out in the back garden, kicking a ball about. I showed an interest in hurling. My dad took me up to Ballygunner Hurling Club. So I was with the boys to begin with. And I can't fault Ballygunner. I loved playing with the boys. And when I look back on it, I realised that I went to a boys club, developed my hurling skills because there was an actual lack of opportunity for me to go to a girls club. So I loved playing with the boys and I will never take from that. But the opportunity for me to get the coaching that would develop my hurling skills was with a boys hurling club rather than with a girls mogey club. Was there ever a point where you lost interest? You know, the reason why we're having the conversation is because there is a point during the teen years where some girls can drop away and they may have been heavily involved in sport from a very, very young age. You know, they may have been brought to the match or to the pitches the same way you were, but something happens in the teen years where there's a fading away from. It happens to a lot of girls. I suppose I was one of those girls that deemed myself as being sporty. So I never lost that interest. I was confident in being active. I was confident with regards to taking part in sports. I saw myself as the sporty one. So I maintained that interest in all So was sports. that like an identity for you then? It was, it was definitely part of my identity growing up that I played sports. I played camogie. I went out to Gualtier Camogie Club and you know, they're like my family there, that, that club. So I was surrounded by friends playing sport. In my school, they started up a camogie team. So again, my friends were playing camogie in school. So I was involved in it. I had a real particular interest in the science around it and I always kind of wanted to train and learn more about, well, how do you develop these motor skills? What's actually happening, the physiological response? So hence I went on to study clinical exercise physiology. So I always had a really strong interest. So I never had that moment in my teenage years where I said, I don't want to play. And I think a lot of that was to do with one, that my interest in sports and my parents, they never put pressure on me to continue with a certain sport. They always let me play whatever sport or activity I was interested in at that time. And also because I had the confidence in those fundamental motor skills from a young age. What about you, Anna? Would you have considered yourself a sporty person as a young one? No, I wouldn't have had sporty as part of my identity. And I think it's very interesting that you use the word confidence. I would have lacked an awful lot of confidence as a young girl and into my teenage years. Like that, sport was in our lives. We were brought to sport and football and camogie and stuff. We grew up in a small village, so we were brought to what was there. And my mother used to run, actually. My mother used to train for the women's mini marathon. And I do remember that was a big thing for my mom. You're talking about your fondest memories on you. I remember just when you say that of going out on my bike with my mom. And I had actually kind of forgotten about that. So it was a big thing my mom used to do the women's mini marathon. But like that, we weren't pushed into any particular sports. We would have played in a little, but I did not like team sports. I didn't have the confidence to be 
on a team and I wasn't very good at them. So we would have dipped in and out of them. My mum used to take us swimming. She was very adamant that we swam. And up to very recently, I always thought my mother had taught us to swim. And I've only recently learned that my mother can't swim. But she she loves to be in the water. So she used to bring us to the pool and she used to spend a lot of time in our summers at a river close to our house. We were always kind of introduced to water. We didn't get swimming lessons. There was nothing ever quite official. We had a very busy household, six kids. My parents both worked full time. It was very busy. So it was kind of you went to sports and different things. I then got out, kind of fell out of it through school. I didn't have a great time in school. I was bullied quite badly in school and that would have had a major effect on my confidence. And I sort of withdrew from everything really, particularly sports. We had a pony which was my saviour. My dad loved horses. He always loved having a horse around and he got us a pony and she was my saviour then. That was kind of became my sport. So I suppose I always loved to be outside. I still do. Like I'm not a great person to be inside. I always loved to be outside. The pony kind of became my outlet when everything else in my life kind of with school going so badly felt like it was falling apart and I ended up with quite a quite severe depression from bullying. So my pony was my saviour and then I left school early again because I've been bullied and stuff and I went to work with horses that was the only thing and they couldn't teach me how to ride horses in school and I hated school at this point so I actually went to work with horses and that's what I did for about 20 years but it's a very unhealthy lifestyle so even though you're outside and it's an exercise it's a very unhealthy lifestyle I smoked from a very young age and with horses as well there's a lot of socialising there's a lot of drinking you know it's a very unhealthy lifestyle even though it's an exercise in a form I certainly wasn't fit or healthy, if that makes sense. So no, I certainly didn't deem myself as sporty as a kid or as a teenager. I didn't have the confidence to deem. I would now. Now I'm sporty, very much so. It's part of my identity. And I love that it's part of my identity now. It's very much what I identify with is being fit and healthy and promoting that and supporting that. Can we talk a little bit about that confidence piece then? To be involved in say a team sport, doesn't have to be a team sport, but say to be involved in a team sport, what does that confidence look like? Or what should it look like to be comfortable in a team setting as a young girl? Well, very interesting. I was working in a school, about two years ago, I was working in a school doing a programme through the sports partnership with teenagers, trying to get them into leadership in sports. It was a very sporty school, very GAA orientated sporty schools. And the girls played, all in the group were quite sporty. I think that one of the girls said to me, she said, there's such a pressure to get onto the team. And then when you're on the team and you're on the pitch, she said, there's such a pressure to perform. Now, she loved it. She loved the sport that she did and she loved playing. But I just thought that was really interesting that from both sides of it, there was this pressure. And I think there's a confidence. One, you need to be able to deal with that pressure and be confident of fighting, I suppose, a little bit for your place on the team because there's a competition in that. There's a competition on a team, even though you're playing together, there's a competition to earn your space on the pitch and then keep your place on the pitch, I think. On you might be able to, like, what does that confidence look like? Because I didn't know what that confidence looked like. I knew what a lack of it looked like, but I didn't know what it actually having it looked like. Yeah, it's really interesting listening to you speak and your own experience, because we've obviously come from different sides of the spectrum where I was active and sporty all throughout my childhood and you kind of came to sport as an adult. But yeah, the two of us are now extremely active and we both love and see the benefits of being active and being outside. Our stories are different, but we've both come to a very similar point. I think with the confidence thing and team sports, one, it's 
a little bit about the coaching side of things as well. And you've touched on it there with regards, well, what does achievement mean? Achievement is not necessarily winning. I know that's part of sport and got a, a big part of my life. You know, you're, you're striving to win all Ireland's. But with younger teams especially, that achievement is mastering a skill. Achievement is improving how you can run and pick up a ball if it's in camogie that we maybe need to reframe what is achievement what is winning so that a young girl can start to build pride within herself of going yeah I mastered that I'd love to be on the first 15 or I'd love to be on the first five on the basketball court but hey look I'm after getting better at this skill so a coach has to kind of acknowledge that within a young girl or a parent should acknowledge that in a young girl when she's going and participating in any kind of physical activity or any kind of sport. It's not about getting on the first 15 or being the star player or the starter or about winning, but build a girl's confidence by saying, yeah, you've gotten better at that. Look at that, you're striking it a little bit longer. So build up a girl's confidence. And then for a young girl herself, by being exposed to different sports and different activities, the motor skills are developed. The fundamental thing, and you see it with, you know, you're talking about toddlers as they're growing up, that if you can teach them to run, that that then transfers to later life. So just simple things, you know, your four or five year old, let them out, go outside with them. The balance bikes are one of the best things that have come in, that a kid is learning the motor skills to move their legs and coordination. So then that confidence is going to transfer. So kind of you're talking about confidence in team sports, that if we can build the basic motor skills in young kids as they're growing up. And then those who are coaching or officiating or parents, aunts, cousins, when they see somebody participating in that sport, you know, really reframe that achievement of going, yeah, God, yeah, you, you've mastered that skill. You've really gotten better at throwing a ball, at catching. And that's going to build a person's confidence, a young girl's confidence as they're coming up through their teenage years. So then when they are getting more involved in those kind of team sports and the competitions coming in, that they have the confidence within themselves, one to go, yeah, I myself, I am getting better at this. And oh, yes, I know I can do this. I know like, with a bit of training, I can master these skills. When you're working, say, with groups of teenagers, Anna, young girls that have maybe are pulling away from their sport or have pulled away from it completely, like what is it that's happened in your experience that creates that or triggers that pulling away from the sport? Do you know, is it just they've come to the end of the line? And the reason why I ask that, like I'm a dad, my boys are 10 and a half and 12 and a half and they've been involved in a lot of things from a very young age. And as a parent and as somebody that was a youth worker for a long time, I want my kids playing sport right throughout their teenage years. However, I'm mindful when my son turns 15, he'll have been playing football for 10 years. That's a long time to be playing again. He might just be burnt out by the time he's 15. So I wonder, I'm off an age when I started playing sport, say GA, you could only play it under 12 level. And you got there because you could either cycle or you had somebody to give you a lift. You couldn't go into a GA club at under six. Or I've been in GA pitches where you have four-year-olds running around learning skills. That wasn't possible years ago. So when you start football, it's normally it was 10 and a half, 11, 12. So you had your whole career ahead of you through your teen years. But young ones now are starting much, much younger. So they've had a good 10-year career by the time they've hit their teens, they're 15, 16. 
Yeah, I think there's a couple of different things that feed into why they drop out as teenagers. There's a couple of points actually just to pick up on from what Oranya has said. So the fundamental motor skills, the fundamental movement skills are really, really important because like you say, that's a big part of the confidence. If they haven't learned those skills, they won't have the confidence to go in with another group of girls if they don't feel like they can run or jump or catch a ball. It's quite stark now that kids can't run backwards. They actually physically don't know how to run backwards. They don't know how to catch balls. They don't know how to jump. These are all things that kids nowadays, they actually don't know how to do them. So that's quite a terrifying statistic when you look at the numbers of kids that don't actually know how to do these very fundamental skills. And a lack of being able to do those feeds into a massive lack of confidence as they get older. And the flip side of that is that kids are starting younger and they are starting five or six and they're 10 years playing sports by the time they're 15 or 16. But all we're talking about here is team sports. My opinion, I think team sports, yes, they have a massive role to play in our country, in our society, in our schools and everything. But I also think they have a massive flip side to that. And I think there is a flaw in that system as well. I think one of the things that is because they're dropping out is because the only thing they've been exposed to is a team sport. And if they're not good enough to be in a team sport, one, they will lose their own confidence. Two, it can be pointed out to them and in a not a nice way that you're not good enough to be on the team. My friend is better than you. My friend should be in the team, not you. That all goes in. Girls can be very cruel to each other. Very, very cruel to each other. And I often say to kids when I go into schools is you're harder on each other than anybody else is. And they're harder on themselves and they're harder on each other. And they don't deny that. They know they're hard on each other. Girls judge each other much more than boys do. And I would see that a lot in school. So there's a problem with it because if they're not good at team sports, they don't want that pressure. They don't want that exposure where everyone's looking at them and their bodies start to change. They might start getting a bit clumsier. They start putting on weight. Girls are different body shapes all the time. There becomes a whole body image issue into it and they don't want to be running around with their things jiggling around that they didn't have before that all of a sudden they're very aware of and they're thinking, oh my God, like, and it becomes uncomfortable for them. It physically becomes uncomfortable for them so then it mentally becomes uncomfortable for them. I do think that Again, going back to what I think a problem with the team sports, and I say that with a great respect for team sports, but I think kids and girls, they need to be exposed to more, to more individual sports, things that they can go and do on their own. If they're not good enough for the team or they don't feel like they're good enough for the team, that they can go cycle, run, swim, dancing. Dancing is a sport, rollerblading, kickboxing. There are so many things that girls can do and move away from the things that are deemed as girly. Go to boxing or archery or kayaking, water sports, rock climbing, hill walking. There are so many things. I don't feel that we expose girls to them early enough and we end up trying to play catch up with them at my job. They've left their teenagers and we're trying to bring them back into it. Sport Ireland did a really big study last year and one point of it is moments of pride. Moments of pride is a big thing but that again needs to move away from winning medals. My moments of pride is taking five seconds off a 5k run or a minute off a 5k run. That's my moment of pride and a teenage girl should be able to see those. So put her in rollerblades and she falls over and two sessions later oh I can rollerblade down. Nothing to do with a team sport, but it's her moment of pride. If a girl hasn't played GA or a team sport or basketball or 
from a young age, they are very, very unlikely to start as a teenager because they don't have those skills. They can't solo a ball. They can't kick a ball. They can't hand pass. And they're not going to go into a team as a 15 or 16 year old with girls who are there 10 years. They might go back when they become a mother but they won't go back at 13 or 14 or 15. That's something like even I would see around the sidelines with kids that are coming in at under 11, under 13 now, where kids didn't start when they're young. I want to ask you something on you, because you've worked in the UK. My wife's a Scottish girl. Susan's been in Ireland since 97, and that's one thing she flagged was Ireland's very GA-orientated, very team sport-orientated, where her sports as a young Scottish girl was swimming, horse riding, tennis, netball and golf and there was a lot of investment on young girls in golf when she was a young teenager but there were sports that she could carry through her teen years into her adult life not so much the netball but the horse riding the cross country type the golf and the swimming and the tennis they were very popular sports for young girls in your experience in the UK do you see a difference between Ireland and the UK with young girls when they're in those teen years or did you see a difference when you were there I think there's a difference in terms of, yes, the exposure to the different sports. I think Ireland is definitely improving in that way. I think you just need to look at the Olympics that have just gone. So you've got like Natalia Coyle in the modern pentathlon. Ten years ago, I probably wouldn't have really known much about the modern pentathlon at all. Just look at the last couple of days and what Leona Maguire has done. A fantastic golfer. So girls are seeing women active and different sports in Ireland. So there's definitely changes happening. Like I spent seven, eight years in England, moved from Birmingham, Liverpool to Oxford. And each county that I moved to, there was different sports that dominated. So say when I was in Liverpool, obviously soccer was a massive, massive sport. You've got Everton and Liverpool there. But both for males and females, young girls were exposed to it as well. When I was in Birmingham, running was a massive activity that people took part in. So there's a lot of running clubs. Moved to Oxford and netball was huge there. And one of the things I always notice, I'm always jealous of guys who can go and kick a ball for five a side. It's not training, it's going meeting up and doing something social and being active. And I can't find anything like that for myself in Ireland. When I was in Oxford, they used to have like a five-a-side netball that women could turn up to, throw a ball about, have a coffee after. It was a lovely kind of social. So kind of in answer to your question, I think Ireland is definitely changing and moving towards exposure to other sports. And Anna, you're a triathlon, aren't you? So that's growing in, yes, in Ireland. Yes, it's grown massively. What brought you into that then? What got you into... That's not for the faint hearts. No, no, it's not. I do like a challenge, I have to say. I used to kind of dip in and out of running a little bit, but I would run and then come home and have a cigarette. It was slightly counterintuitive, but I used to dip in and out of running. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I got this thing, I wanted to run Dublin Marathon. This was like my out there this was the ultimate goal. I wanted to run Dublin. I ended up having to have surgery on my back from a bad fall off a horse and my mental health was not good, hadn't been good for a very long time and I needed to make some really drastic changes and they were had told me I needed to have a second surgery on my back and I sort of went, they were not so keen on that and they said, have the second surgery and then go away and get yourself really fit and strong and I said, well, what if I do it the other way? What if I try and do it the other way and we try and avoid the second surgery? And that's really what I did. I started doing a bit of strength training, started running and I started following an actual plan. It was the first time I'd ever followed a plan. And I immediately fell in love with this, the structure, the plan that this is what I'm doing today. 
So I started running a bit more and there was a triathai, which is a big triathlon quite close to me. And I do a lot of work in a thigh now. That was kind of, I was like, yeah, I'd love to try that. I'd just love to see what that's like. I couldn't swim. So four years ago, I was hanging on to the side of the pool, actually learning how to breathe. We'd spent a lot of time in water as kids, but I was terrified to put my head under the water and actually breathe. So I decided this was the first thing I was going to learn how to swim. It was kind of a challenge I'd set myself. And that's really where I got this, the structure and the goals. I'm a big believer in setting goals. And I'm also a big believer that my 500 kilometre goal is the very same as somebody's 5k goal. It's what sets the fire in your belly. It's creating the structure. It's going out each day to do your walk or your run or whatever distance that that is that you've set yourself. But you achieve something every day. And that's one of the things I love so much about sport now is following my plan. Like this morning before I've come here, I have my hour and a half training done and whatever else happens today, I've achieved that. That's my sense of pride for today. And when anything else that happens on that afterwards, I've started the day in a really good place. I fell in love with that really quick when I started training for the marathon. Then I started going for the triathlon. And I remember the first triathlon, got into the water, didn't put my head under the water once. I had thought I was great. I was going up and down the pool like a legend. Oh, I thought it was deadly. And then as soon as I put my head into the water, it was like, oh my God. So I couldn't wait to get out of the water. But I can very clearly remember getting out of the water and running to the first transition and thinking, this is amazing. I was hooked from the get-go. Absolutely hooked. Yeah, it has really developed from there. I actually started working with a coach the following year. Again, I love the structure. I love knowing what I'm doing every week, what I'm doing each day. And I've just built on it and built on it. And I love the fact that I'm fit and healthy. I get such a buzz out of that. So I actually did an Ironman, my first official Ironman three weeks ago. So that was a huge. But again, that goal to me is the same as my sister who's coming back after having kids and wants to get going again. She's like, I just want to run a 5K. And I'm like, but there's nothing just about it. If that's your goal, if we bring it back to teenagers, you know, why don't we encourage teenage girls to go for a walk before they go to school in the morning? Like, why don't we encourage those very basic things? Now, we are changing, we're moving, we're seeing more women involved in things. But I know when I say to groups of girls that I do triathlons, I do an Ironman, and they think it's up. Absolutely amazing. Like they think it's out with this world. So like, oh my God, I could never do that. We need to change that mindset that they can do it. Goals, small goals, routine, build it into their routine. It's simple things. Start your day with a walk. There's a really famous speech that Admiral William, now I can't think of his second name, did to a university in Texas. He had actually gone to the university in Texas and he came back to do their closing speech for their graduation ceremony. And one of the things he says is make your bed every day. Because if you make your bed every day, you've achieved something. And no matter else what happens in that day. So like I always make my bed every day, but then I love to train first thing in the morning as well. So that's how I got into triathlon. It changed my life. It gave me goals. It gave me structure. It gave me my sense of purpose. It gave me my identity. As another saying I love is cast a vote every day for the person you want to identify as. So by me training today, I've cast a vote today for that I want to be fit and healthy and I want to live the best life that I can live. So I've cast that vote today and I'll hopefully cast the same vote again tomorrow. That's quite a big shift then from, say, where you were as a young teenage girl to where you are now as a young woman. You see that shift then on you from 
say, playing at the high level that you played at in Camogie as a young girl into your young adult. So then coming down off that, so what engages you in sport today or physical exercise today? Like, you know, what keeps the fire burning in you today? Yeah, I suppose like, because I left Ireland when I was 20, 21, so I left the GEA scene, moved over to the UK to study clinical exercise physiology. And, and I was just listening to you speak, I was sitting here smiling, because I think you've really hit a nail on the head. You are so passionate about triathlon and what you're doing. For me, I'm passionate about being active. I love the exertion, how you mentally feel after it. So when I went to the UK, I immediately took up running because I was like, I just want to be active. It makes me feel better. I was studying clinical exercise physiology. I have a decent, I think, understanding of the benefits of physical activity. I'm not talking about sport, I'm just talking about being active. I work in the National Cancer Control Programme. I know that being active reduces, so for a female, their risk of breast cancer and womb cancer. For males and females, it reduces their risk of bowel cancer. There's a physiological mechanism going on there that it affects how insulin is used, it affects the hormone balance in the bodies. I understand the physiology behind how it reduces cardiovascular disease, metabolic diseases, how it mentally makes you feel. Again, I love listening to you speak there. It's making me go, oh, I want to take up triathlon now again. Because you're passionate about it and that mental, how good you feel when you're active, especially when you think of teenage girls, find what they like. You know, don't push them into a sport. It can be a sport. It can be an individual activity. It could be going for a walk in the mornings, like you're saying. I actually think we need to redefine the word sport because sport is very much that competitive element. I think, you know, you're into a sport. As you say, it's exercise, it's physical activity. It doesn't have to be sport. It's movement. It's moving your body, getting the adrenaline up, getting your heart rate up, go for a walk or hill walking, or it can literally just be you and your body. You, your body and setting your own goals. And it's that little bit of pushing yourself as well. And I'm a big, big advocate for how exercise feeds in to other areas of your life. I just find by being fitter and stronger that it definitely has improved my confidence. So my self-confidence in myself, that has fed into my work. It's fed into putting myself forward for to be on the committee of my club, putting myself forward to be on the board of Triathlon Ireland. I would never have dreamt of doing those things. And I fundamentally believe that being fit, being active, by setting myself those goals, I'm able to build on those goals through exercise, feeds into into your other areas of your life, how you deal with things. So this word resilience, which I know it gets thrown around a lot. And whether it be a team sport or your own physical run in a race or something, it's not always going to go to plan. A training session isn't always going to go to plan. I'll have bad training sessions. I might not have felt as well or something is going on in my body. And you have to then go through that in your head. What happened? Okay, that's fine. It happened. You pick yourself up. You go again tomorrow. That feeds into life. Again, as I say to kids, like they're not always going to get the job they want in the future. They're not always going to get the boyfriend or girlfriend they want. They're not always going to get those things. Exercise, I think, gives them more resilience, like organisation skills. This is what I'm going to do today. That feeds into jobs. They actually show now that, you know, employers actually look at other areas of life more so than just your academics or your CV. I like to think the fact that I can train for an Ironman stands to me if I go for a job. I can manage a full time job and I can manage to train for an Ironman. I'm a pretty organised person. So those kind of things. We need to show young people that, that it's not just the obvious. That's something that parents can do is show the other little ways that it feeds into their life or big ways that it feeds into life. Encourage their teenage daughters to 
go out for a walk for 15 minutes before you go to school. Get up out of bed 15 minutes earlier. Go for a walk, then go to school. So implement little things. It doesn't have to be competitive. It doesn't have to be big achievements, but it's little ways. Let girls find, as you say, Anya, find their own thing. Find what they like. You mentioned earlier, but say the changes in the body of young girls and how it can be physically uncomfortable. And then say the image stuff that sometimes can go along with that. What can help make that more comfortable for a young girl so that they can get through that, call it say a pain barrier? Or how can parents help their kids? Or how can coaches or school teachers help their young girls get through that change? You know, the difference between male and female is quite a visible change very often. So what can be done to help young girls deal with that change or that uncomfortable state? I think it's a really good question. One, we probably need to talk about it more and raise awareness. So simple things. Maybe when I was a teenage girl, I was wearing sports kit designed for guys. You know, I was wearing boys tracksuits, but yet I was getting hips. So that little thing maybe about the clothing, making sure the clothing is available for young girls so that they're comfortable and they're, they're supported. I think having those open conversations as well and that the menstrual cycle is kicking in. You feel rubbish. You've got cramps and you just don't want to go out. That's okay. <laughs> you know, let those conversations happen. I come from a sports science background, as I say, clinical exercise physiology. A lot of the studies that were published around exercise training, strength and conditioning is based on male participants. And we apply that then to girls. So how I squat is very, very different to how a guy squats. How my shoulders bear load is different to how a male bears load. So gym equipment, it is designed for male bodies. So it's not an easy question to answer. But I think the first step is let's have those conversations about the design of clothing, the design of equipment, the menstrual cycle and how that affects how a girl feels at different times. Let's steer into it and have those awkward conversations as adults. And like you said, you're involved with triathlon in Ireland. I'm involved with a bit of coaching in the GAA. And as coaches, we probably do need to have those conversations of how can we adapt things so that a girl feels more comfortable. Yeah, and a sports bra. A comfortable, supportive sports bra. Have that conversation as a parent or guardian with your daughter. Do you need a sports bra? It's a very basic, fundamental, do you need a comfortable sports bra? For a teenage girl who suddenly has breasts that are uncomfortable, she's not going to go running. They're hurting her back. They're moving around the place. As you said, these are the open conversations that need to be had. And I think that's a really good point, Anya. Something like a supportive sports bra makes such a difference to a girl. Has she got the right clothes on? You know, has she got gym clothes that she's comfortable in? That's not maybe lycra and stuck to her and showing off the bits that she doesn't want shown off. We've gone very much down the lycra road and, and I live in lycra like that. But we are, it doesn't suit everybody, but we expect it to suit everybody. If Oh, if you want to go for it, you need to be in your lycra. You need to have your lycra trousers on. Well, I don't want to wear lycra because it makes me really self-conscious. So having those open-ended conversations and things like yoga. When a girl is coming into her menstrual cycle and puberty is setting in and stuff and she doesn't want to go outside, yoga online everywhere now. And it's such good exercise. It also brings the head into it, brings your breathing into it. I'm a massive <laughs> believer in yoga. But again, it should be done in every school in the country, I think. It should be as part of PE. It's really interesting what you're saying about these different activities available for different times 
of the month. To be honest, I think the three of us here actually having an open conversation about how can we make physical activity and sport more adapted for girls as they're going through these changes. It's the American female soccer team have an individual who's there to support girls at different times of their cycle during the month. They have a specific coach for it. I have seen a few more articles coming out on, say, national websites about how your hormones affect your physical activity levels. Like estrogen, progesterone is flying up and down. It can enhance your performance at certain times of the month and it can be detrimental to your performance. And just knowing these things, it starts the conversation and it starts us adapting. Like you said, yoga. I'm a big fan of yoga myself as well. And, you know, girls can do that at different times. And it's, but it's if exposure. You, if you think how old, you know, both of us are in our 30s now. Like, I didn't know about cyclical training and the effects of oestrogen and progesterone till I was in my 30s. Because it's not talked about enough. You know, as you say, these open conversations. And even on a basic level of a girl, like, why do I not want to run today? Why do I not want to do what I wanted to do? And that's very confusing. When you're suddenly in this turmoil of hormones and you're trying to figure them out, you don't have a clue what's going on. You really don't have a clue what's going on. And okay, they're touched on maybe, but they're conversations and they need to be had constantly. The taboos need to be, they need to be brought up all the time and supported about the different things that are happening each month. You know, and that it's not going to be the same every month. It's not going to be that this is what happens one week a month and then it changes. You're going to feel differently, you know, and even as you get older then changes again. So it's a constantly changing and evolving thing in a woman's body that like we spend our lives trying to figure out and I don't think it, we still we ever figure it out. <laughs> but I think that needs to be made known. Is you're not probably not ever going to figure it out fully, but you know, at least we're going to be support. You know, things like tennis moving away from the white. That was very much fundamental because of the menstrual cycle. So that was a big development that tennis did was that it didn't have to be in white. There's a long distance cyclist from Mayo called Rachel Nolan. She's an unbelievable athlete, but she's actually gone and had female shorts designed for females because there wasn't any. There actually wasn't any female specific shorts. So as you say, we're training in male equipment. Those are things that fundamentally need to change as well. So there's a lot of catching up needing to be done then to modernise female female sport. Yes, there is changes and they are happening. They are starting to happen. As you say, this cyclical training is starting to become a lot more adamant now of girls actually training as per their cycle, as per their hormones level. But that's on a much higher level, I think, than what we're even talking about here today. Like, And as you say, like, what can we do for girls in a school to feel more comfortable and it is things like a comfortable sports bra. Have they got their sanitary products that they need? Is there places in their schools they can go to just for time out in that time? Are there things like yoga provided or mindfulness or are there alternatives provided to them to support them through that? And have they somebody that they can go and talk to? And I think that's a big problem from girls is that feeling like they're just dealing with it all on their own. And again, it comes back to having the conversations, having the conversations. And I think also having the conversations in front of boys. We're talking about trying to maintain activity with teenage girls. And it's around that thing of making sure that they have somebody that they can have a conversation with, so a parent or a guardian, making sure that the supports 
are in place as coaches that we adapt for girls. That thing of giving choice. You might feel like yoga one week. You might feel like running the next week. You might go, oh, I'm going to do an Ironman in a couple of weeks time. It's just making sure that the opportunities are there for girls and that the focus is all about enjoyment rather than winning or achieving. One of the best things that was given to me when I was, I think I could have been 12, my dad gave me Theodore Roosevelt's speech. It's called Man in the Arena, but he adapted it to woman in the arena. It's not where the critic counts. It's where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the woman who's in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat and blood. So it's very much so a speech about just give it a go. What have you got to lose? You'll enjoy it. You come out with a smile on your face and that's the main thing. And I think trying to maintain girls' activity, the work you're doing, Anna, is so, so important. Can I ask, guys, just we'll finish up with this one. What sort of guidance would you give parents out there or, say, very ambitious coaches or teachers that are involved in sport with young people? Let's say a parent who has a young one that's been you know, very much involved in a game whether it be camogie or netball or basketball, whatever, but now starting to pull away on the parents feeling frustrated by this, feeling disappointed by it, feeling dismayed. You know, how do I get my kid back into sport again? Because all she wants to do is be on Snapchat and hang out with her pals, whatever. And it's affecting the relationship. It's the relationship that's maybe becoming damaged because they don't have the drives in the car to the games anymore or the kid doesn't seem to be wanting to fulfil the possible potential that's there. What guidance would you give a parent or well be a school teacher or coach to help maybe cope with that or deal with that? Maybe start with you, Anna. I'm not a parent, but from a coaching and from the work that I do, I think one, you need to look at why. Why is my daughter pulling back? Was the mother slightly living her life through the teen? Is that why maybe part of that relationship is becoming a bit damaged because she's disappointed? The mother or the guardian might be disappointed. Coach might be disappointed because the teenager has dropped out. Has something happened? Like, does that child actually need support? Does that teenager need support? Particularly if they're playing at a very high level and they've been told, oh, you're really good at this. You're really good at this. You're really good at this. And then something happens and they don't get picked for a team or something. Who's there to support that? So who's actually gone and supported that child or that teenager and dealt with the whole mental fallout that they're having at that moment in time. So they, they've identified with themselves as I'm the really good soccer player or football player, whatever it is, and I'm going to get on this team. And then they don't. And then she starts to back off. But who has stepped in to actually support? That's a trauma. It's a turmoil that that teenage girl has gone through while everything else is going on, while she's on Snapchat and social media and may have had stuff said to her on social media. So that's another side of it. And social media, is a, that's a whole other topic because it's a terrifying topic, I think. But also, I think that's where maybe a slight problem with identifying with one thing comes in. Before they get to the point of pulling back, has the parent or guardian put in place other avenues. So if they're an avid soccer player or camogie player or whatever it may be, is that their only avenue? And I think that's something the parents need to look at as their daughter is coming up to teenagers. Okay, so what are her other avenues? Is she also arty? Is she musical? Would she like to dance alongside this? Dancing will give her movements that will actually help her on a football pitch. Gymnastics, like as you said, an absolutely massively beneficial thing to do alongside any sport. I think being prepared for it 
is one thing. Not being disappointed because the mother's dream is gone. Has the mother or father or the coach hung their dreams on that child? And that's a lot of pressure on a teenage girl. A lot of pressure. So are you prepared for this to happen? Are you conscious or is the parent conscious of how much pressure they're putting on? Because I'm not a parent, but I've seen it. I think we've all seen it on the sidelines of different things, of the pressure that's put on. So looking at the avenues beforehand you know, actually providing support around that time of asking the questions, well, you know, what's going on? Has something changed? Has something happened? Would you like to try something else? Do you want to just take a break from it for a while? Maybe come back to it, but maybe try a different avenue. If the mother is then also, or maybe or the guardian or even a dad is thinking, well, I'm going to miss the time with her in the car going to mad. Find another avenue. Can we take up hill walking on a Sunday? Is there other things that you can do? So I think preparing for it is a big thing rather than going, oh my God, we're in this situation now. Now what do we do? I think we need to prepare for it. How about you, Anya? I'm not a mother myself. I have nieces and I've been involved with kind of a lot of teenage sports teams through the years and teenage individual athletes. And I've seen that happen Okay, around the 14, 15, 16 year age mark. There's a lot of other things coming in. So the pressure of schoolwork and thinking about, oh, do I need to get really high points in a leaving cert? Is a lot of external pressures. You're getting a little bit more freedom and independence to spend with your friends. You've got the obvious one of social media and that. I suppose what I've done in the past is I try and have an individual conversation where we're walking. Allow them to speak. Their voice should be heard more than yours. You can start with, you know, gentle conversation. How's your day going? And start building into how you're getting on with the football or the running or how are you feeling about it? And let them talk, really steer into it and kind of that whole reflective listening. Repeat back what they're saying and try and get to that nugget of why are they pulling back? Once you identify the why, it might be that they don't like it anymore and that's fine. You find something else that they do like or it might be that somebody said something to them. So then you can have the conversation about that. So it's really trying to find the why. And what I find is when you kind of go for a walk and I might, I'm talking about, it might have just been a lap of the pitch. You kind of go to the person at the end going, you just did a nice bit of activity there, didn't you? So they get a sense of achievement. They are praised and they felt listened to. And I think as a teenage girl, being praised and being felt listened to and know that you have autonomy and can make your own decisions is very powerful. It is not easy because you might have that conversation and then a week later, it's all gone backwards. But to me, it's very much so make the time, do it over an activity and let them feel listened to. Find the why and go from there. Guys, thank you so much coming in to chat today thank you thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to your next podcast until then Slongo Foyle